You send out your invitations. You just pick who you want to come and you ignore who you don't want. You turn on the front porch light, you open the door and when the last guests have arrived, you close the door and soon everybody gathers in the dining room. You just pick who you want to come and you ignore who you don't want to be in your house. It's really nobody's business whom you invite over for dinner, right? I'm Michael Labune, member of Vine Street Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee, and Divinity Student. Each week, I speak with Reverend Dr. Thomas Kleinert, senior pastor at Vine Street. His sermons are rich with deep theology that compel people to make change within themselves and work to change the community in which we live. Welcome to Sundays at Vine Street, where the table is open to everyone. We're talking today about the title of the sermon is Lost and Found. It's there. The story of the 99. Jesus tells us a story. Which one of you, having 100 sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? It's interesting I, I, that we're talking about this today. On Saturday, I went uh, with Parker to her skateboard lessons, my daughter, Parker Joe, And I took her skateboarding, and then we always go to the same coffee shop after we're done skateboarding. And the, the barista had a tattoo, is very simple, had the number one, and then the greater than symbol. So one is greater than, and then 99 hmm. was the tattoo. One okay. is greater than 99. Um. So it, it's, it's funny that that, that, would, that that would come up, right? And I would see that so blatantly. Um, you, ask a, you ask a question here at the start of the sermon that, or when we get into this, to this particular text, um, that, I th- that I find very compelling. And that is, who among you would not, the way Jesus poses the question, who among you would not leave the 99 to chase after the one. He asked it as though it's a given. It's, it's you know, a matter of course that we would leave the 99 to, to find the one. Um, I'm curious about what kind of logic is being used here. Is Jesus, is Jesus being logical? Is this the logical thing to do? Is or is Jesus functioning from another place? Is he showing us his logic versus our logic? Is he showing us love versus logic? What do you think is happening that he's demonstrating there? Well, uh, I don't know. That would be my first answer. Sure. Um, the, the 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 point I want to make there is um, to to have a little fun with with that story because it sounds like this is just a rhetorical question and everybody in the room or everybody in the marketplace or where he's he's telling that story you know is nodding their heads when i can easily see that um just about all of them would go like heck no why would we <laughs> and so to to 
consider that as we hear the story, that 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 is a legitimate reaction, because I suspect that a good number of contemporary listeners today would have that question too. You know, does it really make sense when you think of wilderness as a you know kind of dangerous place, and depending on how long that shepherd is wandering around, all kinds of horrible things can happen. So that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then to think that he still follows that train of thought, that there's a shepherd who leaves the 99 because that one that is lost is so important, um, is so loved, is so needed. Uh, depending on how you look at it, you can look at it from the perspective of the one where it's like, whoa, yeah, I, I want that shepherd to come and find me because without that I'm lost. If you look at it from the perspective of the 99, you go like, whoa, wait a minute, what's he doing? You know, he's abandoning us or it feels like abandoning us. And uh, and then there's a third option is if you look at it from the perspective of this shepherd, and that's where it gets crazy for the real-life shepherd slash farmer uh, slash contemporary listener who thinks in terms of, you know, well, 1% is not so bad. Uh, you cut your losses and you move on because you don't want to risk the 99. If you look at it from the perspective of the shepherd in the story, I think you could make an argument uh, for what, what Jesus is teaching here is that the, the wholeness is what it's all about, meaning the 99 without the one are not who they need to be. Mm. And the one without the 99 is definitely not who the one needs to be because there is a, there's a wholeness in them being together with the shepherd. So, so there's for, different ways of, of, of spinning that out. In the final case, yeah, we're thinking about the flock as right. a singular. Right. And so then for one sheep to be not away from the flock... For one sheep to be away from the others mm -hmm. means the flock is not intact. Right. So then... So it's not just the one that's lost. Right. It's it's the whole project is off. <laughs> or the whole community is broken. Yeah. Because one is missing. Yeah. The thinking, thinking of it in terms of if I'm part of the 99 uh, is reminiscent of the, the uh, prodigal son. Uh-huh. The brother. Who right. stays? Right. Who's not lost? Right. Who just keeps working? Right. <laughs> you know, being a good boy. Yeah. But gets offended. Right. And goes and pouts. Right. Uh, and you know is upset. Right. And and I don't mean to be dismissive. I mean there is like we can relate to that. If, yeah. Absolutely. And if the shepherd left me and my, <laughs> my ninety eight mates uh -huh. to go, you know, roam the hillside for Jerry again, uh -huh. right? Especially if it's the same sheep, you know, I could see it going. Yeah. Oh, so where you want to, you know, hey, where's the shepherd? Oh, yeah. you, you, I give you three guesses. Who's lost again? Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> I could see that, you know, that, but that isn't, but that's not the, uh, it's not the subject for us in this story. The way that Jesus presents it. I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's there's different ways, of course, to to look at it and to and to receive it. But I think that um, the, the 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 focus is really on the on the joy of the shepherd upon completing the one hundred, hmm. and that is 
that is what the whole series of of parables there is about that there's there's joy at the end and and in the context it's you know you have you have opponents of Jesus saying this fella eats with sinners uh, and welcomes them uh, welcomes sinners and eats with them which in their minds on their lips is is a critique and what they don't grasp is that they're really addressing the heart of what Jesus mission is about which is welcoming the sinner eating with them reaching out to every last one of us because we count okay okay let's let's hold on right there yeah now wait just a minute <laughs> because this was a moment in the service which is the beginning of the sermon mm-hmm. when i felt my ears start ringing mm-hmm. at the very start of it uh you talk about a dinner party mm-hmm. and, and imagine that i'm going by a friend's house mm-hmm. and i see or someone's house a neighbor's house i see that they're having a dinner party uh, and then you kind of kind of walk us through the ways that one might feel mm-hmm. in seeing a dinner party that they're not a part of. Right. Right. And then you mention like, or unless I see a couple of cars of people who I can't stand and I would never eat with, then what are my feelings toward the host of this dinner party? Am I just like happy I'm not part of the party because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be there mm-hmm. with those people? Mm-hmm. Or has my feelings about the host changed now that it is informed by the fact that this host sees fit to eat with the likes of those people, right? And at that part, I've, I found myself feeling pretty proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those listening to the podcast who have never seen me before, <laughs> I am a punk rock. I'm a child of the punk rock scene, complete with my mohawk and tattoos. Most of my friends, a lot of my friends exist in the margins mm-hmm. of society. So at first, when I heard that, I thought of like a 1984 Ford Escort hatchback, primary color is rust, (laughs) and people who are upper middle class Mm -hmm. driving by and seeing those cars, people like me. Yeah. I was the sinner. Right. Me and my friends are the sinners in my mind because we are in the margins, right? Yeah. And have, and have experienced so much rejection from the church for my whole life. And then for my queer friends and siblings mm-hmm. and trans siblings, mm-hmm. that's even more true. And then mm-hmm. my friends who are people of color, this becomes in a, even so much more pronounced in a white hegemony. Yeah. But then I thought about if I drove by your house and I saw you were having a dinner party and I saw a Maserati in the driveway and a Bentley Mm -hmm. on the street. Mm -hmm. And I suspect, or I somehow know that you're eating with billionaires. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, what if I saw a friend of mine eating with Jeff Bezos? Mm -hmm. Well, then all of a sudden I was the judgmental one. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden I was feeling, even in just imagining it, I could feel myself getting angry. Mm -hmm. That a friend of mine, (laughs) Right. would associate right. with such scum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My first, I mean, that's the way I felt. And that, that may actually be the, the, the perfect setup for this story because the, the context out of which it, it emerges is exactly that. 
there's there's I, I suspect on 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 the on the part of Jesus' opponents, there's a great deal of respect for him in a number of ways. Mm. But then there's that. Really? These people? Yeah, it's not just that he's eating with undesirables, it's that he's eating with powerful undesirables. Right. And 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 I and I I'm I'm glad that you <laughs> had that reaction because that 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 was intended to give everybody a chance to enter that story from both the angle of feeling ex excluded and f with the angle of no, not these people. I'm glad I'm not part of this club. You I know? don't want you to eat with Jeff Bezos. I'm still like, I just want to make it clear, Thomas. If Jeff Bezos wants to come over for supper, I want you to tell him no. Like, I yeah. can't. I can't. Yeah. Be and so this is this is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not settled on, on this scripture. I find it deeply uncomfortable right. that Jesus was associating with these people. I'm with the crowd. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is still the problem right. to me. Chances are nobody really cares whom you invite for dinner, unless, of course, they expect it to be on your guest list and never got an invitation. That can be awkward. So they drive by your house at night and see all the cars parked along the curb on both sides of the street, and they see the silhouettes of people in every window, and they turn to each other wondering, why weren't we invited? Or they drive by and see all the cars, and they notice two vehicles belonging to people they would never want to be seen with, and now they're really, really relieved that they weren't invited, and they make a mental note never to invite you to their house again since you're hanging out with those people. Imagine, imagine a house where every time you drive by, a banquet is in full swing. The lights are on, the doors open, and whoever wants to come in is welcome. What do you do? Do you just pull over and park and join the party? Or do you first scan the parking situation and notice the cars belonging to people you don't approve of? This is the house where Jesus is the host. And people who have become used to being left standing outside of most circles are welcome at his table. And people who have been labeled as outsiders for so long they almost forgot what it means to belong are flocking to him. They eat and drink with him and they listen. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, says Luke. Not just a few, no, all of them, he says. They were coming because Jesus lived and told a story that counted them in, a story of God's reign in the world. They were coming because in Jesus' story, everything was illumined by God's mercy. And they continued to come near to listen because at Jesus' table, they can sit down and not feel out of place. Some folks drive by the house grumbling. This fella welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners, they call him. And they don't think that's a good thing. What do you think? Is that a good thing? When I talk about my beliefs as a Christian, when I talk about the Imago Dei, the image of God that is in every human being, I can, I can say that with such confidence when I am talking to people who are transphobic, mm-hmm. that you are denying the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. I can, I, or people who are racist or mm-hmm. white supremacist, mm-hmm. you are denying the image of God in a whole huge portion of the population, right? Mm-hmm. But the challenge is, I'm doing the same thing to Jeff Bezos. To some degree, yes. Now there's a power differential. Mm -hmm. I'm punching up. Mm -hmm. But I'm still punching. Mm -hmm. And how do we... How and, do we and, do and, this? And, and I would I would say you know because with when when you get into uh, questions of, of power differentials, the, uh, differentials then it, then it becomes a matter of okay what what's the what's the conflict really about here? Right. And um, if if Jeff Bezos is at my dinner, what's the dinner conversation? And I would say the same is true uh, for for Jesus meetings with uh, the chief. Tax collector, uh, chapter nineteen, same book. Mm. We get that scene where we don't hear so much about Jesus' end of the conversation at at that table, but we hear about uh, somebody who got <laughs> rich on the backs of others, um, fairly voluntarily. You know, there's there's no sign of any threat or 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 pressure. Um, decides to uh, work for justice and to pay back and and not just what he took, but a little more. And so requires trust, though, right? Yeah. So Jesus was starting a movement. Mm-hmm. These are people who are following Jesus. I it makes me it makes me think of this very public thing that happened mm-hmm. uh, very recently in the news, where Ellen DeGeneres attended a Dallas Cowboys game with former president George W. Bush. There's all kinds of like pictures and video of them laughing and carrying on as friends, just two friends watching a game. <laughs> Except, of course, the, fo- the people who f- are fans of those two people are vastly different, right? Mm-hmm. So people are who are big fans of George W. Bush uh, who George W. Bush, who quite famously tried to push through the marriage amendment, which would have made it illegal for homosexual people to to marry freely and legally. And Ellen DeGeneres, a lesbian woman who has a huge following of people who are LGBTQIA themselves or allies and accomplices with the LGBTQIA community. So here we have like, this sort of leader, at least, at least Ellen is uh, a, a very public member of the LGBTQ right. community, mm-hmm. 
And George W. Bush, who is seen by many as the arch nemesis mm -hmm. of, of that community's advancement toward their rights. And, and, and with, that, with that scene in mind, I think maybe Kaylee Rhodes, who's interning here at Vine Street, who uh, offered the prayers for the people and, uh, and presided over communion that day. The thoughts I'm about to share with you are still forming, and so um, bear with me. I'm, I'm curious, what she said was how do, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, how do we love oppressors? How can I come and speak about what it means to be brought together through Christ or speak about forgiveness that the base that this table resides in? If I'm not sure that I have space in my heart to seek out a full unity to all of humanity. How do I understand our parables for today? Parables that speak to finding the lost and bringing them in. What if the lost are those who I hold anger and hatred towards? But here we are again at the table, a table that here at Mind Street we claim is open to all. But how do we come into this open table? Are there prerequisites? Was it, were, were there prerequisites for Jesus to sit down to a meal? Does it seem like that? I don't think so. I can't think of a, of a scene or a story that would suggest anything like that, like a refusal on Jesus' end to engage. It's hard to even imagine it, really. Um, other than, you know, there's a story where He's, he's up in Capernaum and doing wonderful things and 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 the disciples come and say hey you need to come back because th th they're looking for you because you know you're, you're kind of famous now and he says well we got to move on mm -hmm. um, so there's there's that but never I can't think of a single situation where he would say just because of a particular label or something I, I, I'm not going to engage with you. I think that goes to the heart again of who he is and, and what his mission is about, that he he sees the humanity of the other and engages with that. And I would say that that's what bothers me about the whole Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush episode. If if we can go to a ball game together because we have a disagreement over what, you know, I, I would agree is a pretty substantial issue, but it's still, it's just one aspect of our relationship. It's just one aspect of our life. And, and I can see how, if that is the issue that I'm currently wrestling with as a LGBTQIA person, then I may think that what are you doing? You're, you know, you're hurting the cause. You're, you're betraying us. You, you, you're banning me by, by hanging out with this guy. But I think that, as as understandable as that is, because I, I hear the pain in that, I, I would also want to kind of mirror back and say, why, why would you treat this person? simply as a barrier as the, as the carry of a label which is how you've 
are being treated because any all, all in in this in this political fight you know all all that the other side sees in you is this other who is not cisgender heterosexual um and and you rightly rebel against being identified like that being reduced being reduced to that one thing right because you are a person you know you <laughs> you do other things you have other qualities you you are a whole human being and not just this one thing well, let and me so, push you yeah. let me push you a little further yeah when it comes to people who have committed evil cuz we're talking right now about national evil but we could take this very 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 personal we could you know it's it's not hard to find people who have done things that are taboo and that are widely regarded as evil what is it that we are supposed to do do we are are we how do we what point are we able to to say we want them to be restored do we really want restoration or do we want them to be canceled well i would think that the the basic human response that's probably i uh, i would assume is pretty universal is that elimination of the misfit is not uncommon so you you have some kind of group identity and whatever doesn't fit in is excluded and if that isn't enough is destroyed is eliminated um and there's clearly a different movement in what jesus does because there's no writing off there's no writing off and i think that's that's an area where we need to realize that um what jesus who jesus is and what he does is more than an example uh because he's 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 not simply one of us he's also god among us so there's there's a there's a quality about his actions and his attitudes that that is that is beyond our capacity and so i would say there's uh there's definitely a challenge to 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 consider other options when our gut reaction is pretty clear and and i know that from myself i i'm i'm generally a, a, a you know a gentle and kind person but i know that uh, there's limits to that where 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 i turn into just another uh angry uh violent uh man because you know i thought about it in terms when 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 i when i try to imagine if something if somebody would do something to my children right i i i can see how i would just turn into just rage and little else and i wouldn't care yeah <laughs> um who you are who's done this you know but in with with the benefit of thinking about these situations um without the emotional 
baggage, I can see how that is destructive, not just for the other person, but also for me as a human being. And so um, I, I would say that that is what, what Jesus is inviting us into with stories like that mm-hmm. when, when we're so, so quick to exclude, to write off, and even to eliminate, uh, to reconsider and, and understand that that is ultimately destructive because all of us, to some degree, are on somebody's list of right. to be excluded, to be uh, pushed out, to be written off, to be eliminated. And and I think you, you said it earlier, you know, how can we keep in mind that not only did each of us start out as little babies wide open to the world and all it has to give with great vulnerability and, and incredible trust. Um, we're also, all of us, made in the image of God. And it's easy to forget that when we see only evil. And of course, you know, the story about the, the lost is not really about evil. It's it's kind of on a it's on a really on a much more human level right. of simple exclusion because you don't follow the standards of the community. Um, but if you drive that to extreme, that's that's where you end up. And so, the question of how do you how do you love the oppressor is to me is well for one how close am I to the oppressor and and. How direct is that? Is that oppression? Like I, I, I find it easy to interact with other guys who are, you know, maybe homophobic or, or uh, have trouble with f- feminist uh, ideas. Then they're not oppressing me, mm. so it's easy for me to engage with them and safe. Uh, and I mean, safe. We need exactly. to name that exactly. That's right. what I mean. If it's yeah. not direct oppression, right. same thing with perpetrators of child sexual abuse. I'm 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 fortunate enough that I'm not a victim, so I can interact with with a person like that with much greater uh, ease than somebody who's who has that experience. Yeah. And so, but I also think that that means for me um, to to return to that to that story of the shepherd that I'm called on there. Um, if I'm if I'm not if I don't if I don't see myself as the one, and I don't see myself as the ninety nine, perhaps in that moment I can see myself as that shepherd who reaches out and and tries to connect with uh, with the person, a child of God, who in the eyes of many is a monster, mm-hmm. and and talk with them and engage and. Yeah, love them well, which would include, you know, we got to have, as a leader of the church, I would say, you know, um, we got to have, we got to have some rules in place that you commit to follow. Uh, But I want you to be, to continue to be, or to be part of this community to the degree that we can work that out. 
and my responsibility or our responsibility as the community leadership is we, we make sure everybody is safe, but we also make sure that you're not simply just pushed out because you're, you're more than that horrible thing that you did. Once upon a time, a Sufi stopped by a flooding riverbed to rest. The rising waters licked the low-hanging branches of trees that lined the creek. And there, on one of them, a scorpion struggled to avoid the rising stream. Aware that the scorpion would drown soon if not brought to dry land, the Sufi stretched along the branch and reached out his hand time after time to touch the stranded scorpion that stung him over and over again. But still the scorpion kept its grip on the branch. Sufi said a passerby, don't you realize that if you touch that scorpion, it will sting you? And the Sufi replied, as he reached out for the scorpion one more time, ah, so it is, friend. But just because it is the scorpion's nature to sting does not mean that I should abandon my nature to save. This, this does remind me of, of a, a person of my class interacting with a Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. right? This does, this does make me think of someone who is doing harm. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying in the sermon, what I hear you saying now, um, is that just because it is the scorpion's nature to sting, it is the, this person's nature to to be villainous. <laughs> Careful there. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I think it go it, it get, gets goes off because in the story the scorpion does what a scorpion does. It's made to do that. It's right. not villainy for a scorpion and to it's skin. Not to villainy. It, right. it does that. It's actually a defense sure. yeah. posture. Um whereas, you know, you you, you bring up high altitude uh, folks like, you know, Jeff Bezos, whose, whose actions have enormous impact very broadly Globally, and yeah. very deeply. Right. Same with uh, George W., uh, who, you know, whose decisions have enormous impact. And, and I would say for one, you know, I have very little opportunity to hang out with us guys. Yeah. <laughs> and if I did, you know, I, I, I think that could be interesting conversations. But the the story of the Sufi is, I think, is on a very different level, because it 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 talks about really the essence of what makes the the holy man a holy man, mm. and what makes the scorpion a scorpion, and so the the holy man wants to save this lovely creature. And the scorpion doesn't know. Oh, I see. And now, now, when you say it that way, it doesn't seem that different. Okay. So if I am striving to be, uh, to be a Christian is to follow Christ. Mm -hmm. If we want, if, if, or at least let's adopt that definition for this conversation. Mm -hmm. And if I want to follow Christ, mm -hmm. 
then I should at least try to make it the case that it is my nature to save or mm-hmm. lean on the part right. of my nature that wants right. to save. Yeah. And when you describe the scorpion there at the end, you're not describing the sting. Mm-hmm. You're describing the creature. Mm-hmm. And and in that way, it seems like like maybe this is like maybe maybe the Sufi's nature to save is also it comes from the same place that causes the Sufi to see the scorpion as valuable mm-hmm. as, as, as a creation. Right, absolutely. As a created thing, a living thing. And maybe if I can, maybe if I can do that, if I can start to see the people who I disagree with, the people who, who I am opposed to, see past the worst things that they've done, mm-hmm. to see past the ways that they've hurt, or inflicted harm, mm-hmm. um, not saying that I'm making it okay no. or that it's okay that they've done it no. or that that the damage isn't, but we're not still suffering mm-hmm. from the damage that's been done. Mm-hmm. But if I, can, if I can see them as a person, a living thing mm-hmm. that's worthy of life mm-hmm. and worthy to be saved, mm-hmm. well, then, then maybe I can follow Christ into dinner with sinners, right? And the seeing piece is is the critical one. So you 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 have to practice looking past the labels, looking past the front page to see more than what you're presented with as this evil actor. Mm-hmm. You know this this perpetrator, this monster, and to and to to connect with or to seek to connect with the the human being that clearly is not a complete human being um which means respect. our flock yeah is not whole and that means that humanity is not whole yeah until we found everyone mm-hmm. until we'll all let ourselves be found and to the degree that we can be part of that Christ body, Christ work of every now and then at least, you know, allow ourselves to be used in that way where we can become uh, shepherds to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm not the 99 or the one, mm-hmm. and I'm also the 99 mm-hmm. and I'm the one. Mm-hmm. It all depends on what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's, it's a, it's, I need to be found. I need to want the one who's left the flock mm-hmm. to be found mm-hmm. and part of the work mm-hmm. that's restoring wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not easy, Thomas. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. Many of you will know the story. The Runaway Bunny, children's book written by Margaret Brown, was first published in 1942, and it's not been out of print ever since. 
In that book, a little bunny threatens to run away from home in an imaginary game of shape-shifting. And the loving and steadfast mother promises to find her child each time he threatens to escape by doing some shape-shifting of her own. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. Now some parents are uncomfortable with some of the mother's, mother rabbit's responses. Um, words like creepy, and obsessive and uh, possessive uh, were used in some online comments. While, uh, quote, while the emotional tone is one of love, uh, wrote one reviewer, the mother rabbit's refusal to let her child explore could be seen, yeah, as stifling. A mid-century helicopter parent. But then, then we turn the page to the little bunny saying, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. That's not creepy at all. Not in my book. The point is, it is not easy. It is not easy for us to find words for a love that will not let us go. Not because it doesn't want us to go and explore, but because it does want us to run and swim and climb and fly, knowing and never forgetting that we belong. Sundays at Vine Street is a production of Vine Street Christian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and Pot About It Productions. Our editor is Doug Branson. For full sermon text, audio, and more information about our community, visit vinestreet.org. That's V-I-N-E-S-T-R-E-E-T dot O-R-G. I'm Michael Labune. We'll see you next Sunday.